0: Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast that I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor. And we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless hope you enjoyed your time together. You'll get another time to share with one another and pray. But, uh, man, the Lakers. Oh, my goodness. The Lakers. They are cooking Memphis. 40 points. I couldn't believe it. I was crying a little bit. I checked back in at the finals, so I have to admit, I don't follow regular season, but when the Lakers are in the finals, I get all crazy again, which I know some of you are judging me for, but I'm like really excited. I'm legit excited right now. And it also brought me back to my hoop dreams when I was a kid. So basketball meant everything to me. If you guys don't know, elementary school was really tough. I got bullied a lot. I felt alone through recess. And then I found basketball, and it was magical because I was good at it. I was about this tall in, like, junior high, and um, I got friends. I got friends off of basketball. I actually formed my identity off of basketball, so my screen name was God's Baller, you know, integration of faith, integration of faith, and... I dressed up like a baller every day. I had a tank top and shorts. I dribbled my basketball to class, you know, because I heard Jordan dribbled his basketball to, like, the grocery store. So I was always working on my handles. And I was ready to ball anytime. Like, anytime someone wanted to challenge me, I would go play. It didn't matter if we were in first period or, or math. I was just always into basketball. And so I remember walking into the second round of basketball trials at Dinebar High School. And I was like, I have pedigree. You know. I was the best basketball player at my immigrant church. I was really good, I was really good. We always won the church league basketball. But I was also one of the best basketball players in my junior high school. Yeah, in my Christian junior high school of 60 people per class. So anyways, Division II basketball at Diamond Bar High School. I walk into the second round of tryouts and I was like, there are a lot of kids who want to be on this basketball team. I mean, the bleachers were pretty filled. Maybe a 100, 100 kids were trying out for basketball. And at that point, they were at their final rounds. The coach was looking for one more guy. And so they had this really brutal, like, Hunger Games style basketball tryout where everyone would play one-on-one. We had six hoops. So you play one-on-one. And if you lose, you go home. So you got to win every round. And you have to survive the dozens of other players to make the team. So I I remember first game, up to seven, uh, winner's ball, beat that guy. Third game, beat that guy. Fifth game, beat that guy. And I'm, like, super excited. I'm making all my jump shots. I'm doing my fancy layups, you know. Everything was going in. And I was praising God in the middle of it, which made me look a little crazy. But I was, like, really grateful to the Lord. I beat ten guys, right? So this elimination round And then it was like boss level where the 11th game was against a player who had already made the team. His name was Frank. I still remember his name. And uh, he was bigger than me. He was stronger than me. But man, I crossed him over. I crossed him over so hard. And then uh, I beat him too. So the coach is like, you're on the basketball team. And it just meant everything to me because it's who I wanted to be in high school. I wanted to be a basketball player. So I show up, Next morning, basketball practice is at 4 a.m. I set my alarm for 3.50, and I get to school at 4. We run practice, and JV runs practice in first period, and then varsity gets the, the good spot, of course. When I think about the dreams that we had in high school, junior high, or even the dreams we hold now, I'm not sure if it's so dissimilar to Peter, who's always dreamt about being a fisherman and getting the big catch. He grew up in a fishing village. His dad was a fisherman. Every trade was passed down from one generation to another. So I just imagine him casting lines when he was like five, reeling in fish at eight or nine, helping dad clean the nets, sending the boats off, and watching his dad from the shore reel in fish. And he's become pretty successful. He has his own boats. He has his companions that he goes fishing with. They do drag net fishing. But today was a bad day. They had gone out all night, and they caught nothing. That's tough. That's tough when it's not just a hobby, but it's your welfare, how you feed your family and pay rent. It's tough to work eight to 10 hours and come back home with nothing. And that, this was one of those days. So if you'll join me in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, it says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people... We were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge, two boats there left by the fishermen who were washing their nets. They got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, uh, who will be named Peter, and he asked him to put out a little sh- from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus has a crowd gathering, and he uses um, the distance between the boat and the shore as a way to amplify his voice in order for everyone to hear. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. So you can hear a little bit of frustration in Peter's voice. He's worked hard all night. He's already let these nets down. No fish came to him. And then he had to haul about a thousand pounds worth of net back into the boat with his partners. He's back on shore. He pulls it out of his boat, a thousand pounds of net. He's cleaning it. And now Jesus is making this ridiculous request for him to go back into fish. It's ridiculous because Jesus asked him to fish in the same spot he had just fished. And for eight hours, he knew there was no fish there. Also, Jesus is asking him to fish in the in the middle of the day and if you're a fisherman which i'm not because my me and my sister went fishing once and she caught one i didn't so i never fished again but if you are a fisherman um, you know that you go before the sun rises because the fish come up to the shallow area in order to feed but when the sun's up they go down to the cooler parts of the lake and also to um, avoid predators so this was the wrong part of the lake that Peter had just fished, and it was the wrong part of the day. But then he says, because you say so, I will let down the net. When I think about uh, the sermon this morning, I want to talk about the first three steps in becoming a disciple of Jesus, the first three steps in walking and following Jesus. And I would say the first step is to obey Jesus in the seemingly small things, to do it because he said so. I wonder if we do things because we agree with him, if we do things because it's easy and he said so. We do things because he he said so and we were going to do it anyways. But do we do what he says when it's hard or when we disagree or it's a part of theology that we're not sure about but it's in the Bible anyways? Do we obey him because he said so? And then I also think about how when Jesus asks Peter to put down his nets, he doesn't tell him why, right? He kind of says, oh, you'll, you'll catch, you'll catch something. But he doesn't spell it out like, dude, Peter, if you go out right now, biggest catch of your life, like hundreds of really big fish that are about to sink your boat, like go do it for that. No, Jesus hides it, right? He, he conceals the reward. He conceals where the destination. And I wonder in our life, Don't we feel the gentle leading of Jesus more like that? He gives us the next couple steps. He points us in a direction. He shows us the right um, and the ethical decision to make. And yet, we don't get the full picture. We don't know if we'll be rewarded for following him. And I think he does that because he wants us to obey him for him instead of for stuff. If he shows us all that the rewards of following him, then maybe we're just doing it for the reward. Maybe we're doing it because we want what comes out of following Jesus instead of Jesus himself. But he conceals it um, as he's giving his command, as he's telling Peter what to do so that Peter can exercise faith in him so that he could be focused on him so that he could follow him. When he had done so, uh, next verse, And so were James and John, the son of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Here, I want you to notice that Peter gets everything he's ever wanted. He has the biggest big fish story uh, for all of time in Israel. But sometimes when we are able to actually touch our dreams, when they become tangible and in our hands, they start to shrink a little bit, don't they? Think about all the best devices you bought or actually being able to buy that house, or getting the career you want. It felt fulfilling for a moment, but it started to become a little smaller. I think God chooses this miracle for Peter so he could see the smallness of his dream of his life when he was only fishing for himself. But here, also, Jesus reveals himself to him. So we see Peter fall on his knees in worship, We see him exclaim that he's a sinful man because he's moving from Jesus as a teacher or a rabbi or a master, which is how he referred to Jesus before this moment, to being Lord. He knew that he saw God. And this is how people who are in the presence of God respond. I'm a sinner and on their knees. Jesus started to blow up Peter's categories for him. Sometimes when we become a Christian, it's easy just to put Jesus in different boxes, right? He's in the church box. He's in the Bible study box. Um, I I remember Jesus when I'm opening scripture. But Jesus wants to invade every part of our life. He wants to be Lord of all. And here, Jesus is walking into Peter's occupation and saying, I'm not just a rabbi in the synagogue. I'm not just the healer of your mother, but I want to be in your career and in your occupation, and in every part of your life. I wonder if Jesus has showed up in your work yet. I wonder if Jesus has shown up in your marriage and in your friendships. Uh, Liz shared a really cool story with me a couple weeks ago. She's a special ed teacher, the wife of of Ben. And um, she has the kids that have a hard time behaving in typical classrooms. And that's what makes up of her class. So it sounds pretty difficult. And a lot of these kids can be disruptive, but one of them is especially disruptive. And she understands he has a really difficult background. He's been through a lot. But what she told me was that he would actually wad up paper and throw it at her. Could you imagine doing that to your teachers? Putting a piece of paper together and just chucking it at your teacher, right? That's an immediate suspension. But Liz tells me she's really good at dodging. That's one of the teaching skills you have to have. For this classroom, like she's just dodging paper, but once in a while she'll hit him, and uh, she, she'll he'll he, sorry he'll hit her with the paper. Man, those pronouns it makes a difference. She'll hit him, no. <laughs> he'll hit her with, with the paper. I hope you don't get fired after this. I'm sorry. Make sure to listen to the whole thing. Okay. Um, She'll, she'll hit her with a piece of paper. And when I hear about that, I'm, like, getting mad for her, right? I'm, I want her to hit him. And um, I'm like, dude, that's so disrespectful. Like, how do you respond when you get hit by paper? And she's like, I just let it roll off of me. I'll look at him. I'll be like, hey, good shot. You hit me today. And then she'll just move on with the class and talk to him afterward. And the reason why she does this is because she really wants him to graduate. He can't do another suspension. He'll go to to a school. He might never graduate high school. He needs to graduate. And so she is willing to absorb, um, you know, the paper, but also, like, for me, the damage to my pride and ego in order to love this kid. And so I see how Jesus has become master of all in Liz's life that a place where we could segment out the Lord, she's brought him in and said, I'll follow you here too. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore, left everything, and followed him. I love this response that Jesus gives. First, he says that he'll be a fisher of men. And in the Greek, it says you'll catch alive that's what it means to fish in the greek here translated men so when you fish for fish you're catching them for death right you're catching them to eat them but jesus is using that play on words and saying peter you will catch men and women who are drowning at sea and allow them to live and bring them into life in me that's the nuance of the language i met a man who um was in China, and he did everything like his parents wanted. He exceeded every expectation. He went to the best, one of the best colleges in Beijing. He went to the, one of the best law firms, and then he went to become one of the best lawyers uh, in the best law firm in his city. So he was just the top of the top, competing against like a million other people. Um, but he described his life at that point as, I felt like I was on a boat, in the middle of the ocean, and the rains and wind was ripping. I didn't know where I came from or where I was going because we just grew up believing in no God. So I was just lost. One day, a coworker invites me to church, and I sit there, the pastor preaches the gospel to me, and all of a sudden, like, I'm pulled out of the ocean. And that's exactly the imagery that Jesus is using, that he's using us and the gospel to pull people out of this ocean. I think about how he pulled out Everett from the dorm and anxiety. I think about how he pulled out Peter when he was wrestling with depression with the simple tagline of Jesus loves you, how he pulled out Catherine and Alex and Arlene from their situations. That he is pulling people out of the ocean, and he's calling us to do the same. And I also noticed that Jesus calls, Peter leaves everything. And there is a leaving of everything to follow Jesus. You know, for Peter is leaving his occupation as a fisherman to be a disciple. But for many of us, we stay where we are, like Liz, and we learn to follow Jesus into our workspace. I also, I also think about Jeff and Jane. I asked both of them permission to share um, Jeff was kind of like, I would say, a lukewarm Christian for many years. I got to know him in college, which is amazing, him and his wife. And now I'm holding, I held their baby on Friday. I mean, it's like been a joy to pastor people uh, for 10 years. And the last two years, he's just shifted his priorities. And he says, I want to put Jesus first. And we've just seen that, if you're a very close friend to him. But then on the business side, he says, I built this whole art business. And he's very good at it. But now my, my values and my motivation and why I do this business has shifted. Like the foundations under why I'm doing business has moved. And it's like I'm holding all the systems and structures together and trying to move it to this other place. Because he's leaving behind what, why he used to do things. And he's doing it now for a different purpose. Those last two words, follow him, in the Greek... I mean, in our culture, following is just kind of clicking like, right? Or clicking, I don't know, whatever you click, the, the notification button in order to get updates on your favorite influencers, on your favorite YouTube channels. It's very light. And if you don't like them anymore, you just jump ship or you cancel them and go to someone else. But following um, someone in, in this period, especially a rabbi, it, it had this meaning of intimate imprinting. You think about a duckling being imprinted by the mother. So I was looking up Google images, and I found this uh, next slide. And it says, a Labrador adopting baby ducklings. And then they're like being, in, they might think they're a lab. I don't know. But they're just following this lab around now. It's, his, it's their new mother. Maybe, they fought, maybe he fought off the wolf or the coyote that killed their mom and is now raising them on, their own, on his own. Um, I also think of imprinting when I think about Liam and Levi. Um, There's a video. I don't know if you have it, but Levi pulls up a chair next to Liam um, because Liam has a chair. (laughs) And then he'll sit there. And then he just kind of like looks at Liam. Liam's probably a little annoyed of being copied all the time. And Liam sits like this. So Levi sits like that. (laughs) being imprinted. He's being imprinted by his brother. He's like, good job, brother. That night, he found two medals from Liam's soccer league, and he gave one to Liam while Liam was sleeping. Like, thanks for being my brother. And so um, so when you think about following Jesus, are you thinking about, like, just getting updates on his life or, you know, following him here, but then following all these other people wanting to imitate them? Or are you a duckling following a lab or a Levi following a Liam, are you following Jesus like Peter, who wherever Jesus went, Peter was there too. When Jesus arrived at a city, Peter was right behind him. When Jesus picked a home to sleep in, Peter slept there as well. When when he ate at a person's table, Peter was eating there. We all have to learn how to follow Jesus into our home, into our friendships, into our work, And to say, Jesus, as you go in front of me, what does it look like for you to be a teacher, for you to be an artist, a doctor? And how can you imprint me to be you in my workspace as a husband, as a mother, as an older brother? Following Jesus means allowing him to imprint you. When I think about high school again, I, I re, I, I'm, I'm keeping you all here because of the story. Everyone's like, you guys, they really want to be in the green room. I was like, no, keep the youth for one more week because I have a story for them. Okay, so I remember going to high school, um, getting on the basketball team. So I had, I don't know what teams that you guys want to be on, but I finally made the basketball team. But then tragically, I tore my ACL. ACL is like what well, holds your knee together. I was playing basketball I was trying to – we were winning a tournament, and then, anyways, messed it up. And then I tore two more ACLs. You only have two ACLs, and I tore three because of a reconstruction surgery. And my identity that I built in basketball was fully shattered at that point, right? I couldn't ball anymore. I could barely walk for a while. And I remember wondering, like, what do I – who, can, who am I if I'm not basketball? Because this was me from fifth to ninth grade. This was my screen name. I had to change my screen name, right? I couldn't be God's baller anymore. I was just God's pet, or I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> and so, and so, gangsters were really cool. Are they still cool now? Are gangsters? No. Okay, they were really cool, like when I was in high school. Tupac, Death Row Records, and so all these Asians wanted to be gangsters, even though we were in Diamond Bar, right? <laughs> It was very strange to be like a very wealthy gangster, and uh, but they were in, they were in. So I was like, maybe I could be a gangster, but it's very hard to be a gangster and a Christian if you don't want to say the F word or if you don't approve of your friends dr- selling drugs at your house, which happened. Um, and then what really, what was really the kicker, it was kind of a scar- scary story, but I was hanging out with a friend and they were, he was starting a fight and he was like, hey, my cousins are coming, they're really hardcore and they're going to bring guns To school, and then we're gonna like basically not kill this person, but like intimidate them, right? Like flash our guns, and you should come with me. And I was like, I don't know if Jesus (laughs) would like do that. So I was disqualified from being a gangster. And then there was also another, like, really cool crowd of, like, Asian smart kids. that I was like, maybe I could do that. So I took, like, AP Bio and AP Chem and and AP Calculus. And then I got – I had to drop out of AP Bio and AP Chem (laughs) and AP Calculus. So I wasn't smart enough to be one of the smart Asian kids. I wasn't bad enough to be one of the bad Asian kids. And then God was like, what if you – found your identity in me as a high schooler. Because I remember when I was a kid, like, Jesus was close to me. But I started letting him go in order to take on other identities. I was like, well, God, I want to be cool, though. <laughs> like, but I, I, it hit my heart. So I remember calling uh, Garland, he might be here today, and his little brother. They were at my church. And I said, hey, can we, can we pray together, like, five minutes before uh, school just to remind each other that we're Christian before we are all these other identities so we gathered in his car the three of us it's in the corner of the parking lot right by the cha- trailer so it was a little hidden and I remember praying to him like this dear God thank you for the day please help me to remember that I'm a Christian I wanted I didn't want anyone to know I was praying so I just turned to him and I prayed right to his face making eye contact and um but God just continued to like pull on my heart. Hey, there's other kids on your campus that need to put their like identity in me first. So I started inviting other kids, and soon our car started filling up, right? Passenger seat, driver's seat. It was the trunk or the bed of the truck. We filled it up with four kids. And fi- and then one more kid came and we hit like 10. I'm like, no, we have to leave the, the womb of our like Jeep <laughs> and like be exposed. <laughs> So I was like, let's go outside. And the first couple of times outside the Jeep was like really awkward. Um, And then another friend at a Bible study prayed with me. She was in high school as well. And she had a vision from God. And I really like held on to that vision. She said in the same gym that I would play basketball in, there was like this big rally. The cheerleaders, the dancers, everyone's cheering. And all of a sudden, the lights go out. And it was fully dark. And someone, on the MC, someone who's emceeing said, if you love Jesus, let your light shine. And there was, like, a candle, like, magically in my hand, right, that I could light. And I was, like, so nervous because no one else was lighting their candle. But I ended up, in her vision, lighting my candle. So there was, like, one little light in this big, dark gym. But then on the other side of the gym, someone lit their candles and then on the other side someone lit their candles and then suddenly this one little candle became a few dozen and a few hundred and the gym illuminated um, with this warm light and it was encouragement to me that I shouldn't be hiding my faith that I shouldn't be hiding my identity I, I wasn't hiding my identity when I was a basketball player I was wearing the team jersey every day. Like, why is he wearing it on non-game days, right? (laughs) But now, as a Christian, I'm trying to hide in my van, in my friend's Jeep. And so, anyways, we come outside, and I said, let's be proud of our faith. So we started worshiping. People started hearing about us. And our little group of 10 became 20, 30. And then there was the poll day where you pray at the poll. So we went out there, and then it grew to 50. And I was like, dude, this is a lot of a lot of students, and I said, hey, we're going to meet here every day from now on. So we ended up meeting over the next year and a half from uh, 6.30 to 8 a.m. when school starts. We did an hour and a half of prayer. We would have full bands out there, and the kids that used to make fun of us stopped, because like one of their friends was with us when we were like 70 80 people like we had kids from ASB we had teachers we had nerds we had uh football players we had cheerleaders like everyone was there someone from every group was there and then we saw this little prayer meeting ripple through um, you know like 10 other schools i had 10 other christian club presidents come to my house and i vision casted and they all launched prayer meetings and we saw a little revival it was amazing i That one simple step of like, can I start a, can I just remind my two friends for seven minutes that we're Christians, became a mini prayer movement. This this invitation for Jesus not to be segmented into little pieces of our life, but to walk into school with him, to walk into our workplace with him, allowed me to bring Jesus to so many of my friends. I had a birthday party um, for one of my my birthdays in high school, and I shared my testimony, and ten of my friends became Christian. It was crazy. And I'm not asking you to do any of those things, but I do believe that for each of us, whether we're working, whether we're retired, or whether we're stepping onto a campus, college, or high school, that we would know that following Jesus means that he's going in in front of us, that he's right there. And he wants to teach us how to do Do that with him. He wants to imprint us. And he wants us to look like him too. God, thank you so much for inviting all of us to follow you. That is our portion. That we get you, Jesus. Not the destination. Not a reward. We get you. Not just your word to teach us what to do. We get um, a God who lives life right next to us, showing us how to be like you where we are. I pray that wherever my brothers and sisters are, that, that they would see you there and that they would follow you into, their, into that space. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor, a nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us, and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.